Welcome, once again, to We Muse Aloud, an interdimensional conference call, where voices share what they think about a particular subject, their words bobbing on a shimmering lake of music and sound, or something like that. We good? Thank you for the response to the Dirty Little Secrets episode, and yes, that one story made our jaws drop too. This episode features the return of last season's questions format. So instead of a theme, I'm going to ask one question. Our first voice will answer it, then they will in turn ask a question for the next voice, and the whole episode will be a chain of questions and answers that lead us through a twisty map of topics. Fun, right? I think it's fun. As always, we Muse Aloud is best enjoyed with headphones for the full sonic experience. If you just have it on in the background, there are a lot of little subtleties in the sound design that you'll miss. So let's get started. Music, please. Nice. My question for our first contributing voice is, if you could see a well-produced video of any moment in your life, what would you choose, and why? Episode 17. Questions. It would probably be the last time I saw my mom face to face because she left to go to India on a trip that was a month long and I was supposed to come meet her at the airport when she got back and I had plans to do that and I think two or three days before their return she passed away and I mean I think about this a lot with with death or like people dying there's something particularly awful about sudden deaths or deaths that aren't expected because you can't... If someone's sick in a hospital, you know that the end is near. Like, or there's almost like this idea of like every time you encounter them, there's this... And I mean, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but like this process of sort of taking every moment as important like because it could be the last time you see this person who's in the hospital and very sick whereas what's interesting or sort of sad or tragic about very sudden death is that you don't I can't remember what we actually said to each other which is sort of a tragic part for me like I always I can remember the tone and the mood and sort of like action things that happen like I can remember that we had tea together, she made me tea, and we sat in our kitchen table and we talked, but I don't, she seemed really excited and happy about her trip. But I don't remember, like, I was like, did we, I think we hugged when we said goodbye, but I was like, did we even say we loved each other? Because we didn't, like, there's all that stuff there that I don't, that I wish I could know or remember. And I think about that moment all the time, like fairly regularly that I think like, man, I really wish I knew what we said to each other. And I wish I knew what it 
what the words were because it probably was really meaningless and mundane. Like it's probably like silly stuff. Like, oh, you have to call your so-and-so so that you can, they can know what time. Um, I think she was something about like my aunt, just like stuff like family stuff or like you should, you should look at this program. My mom was always wanting me to go back to school. So she was always like pushing an agenda. Like it was probably really meaningless sort of small talk. Like how's your life? What's it like in Toronto? Are you working? You know, she's always concerned about how frequently I was working. So I don't know. I, th I think that that's the only time I've ever been like, oh man, I really wish I had like a photographic memory and I can remember everything that happened. Because it wasn't even a very long visit either. So like, would I have made different choices in that visit? Would I have stayed longer? Um, yeah, I think that that's pretty, pretty much it. Yeah. Who is someone from your past that you don't see anymore that you from time to time think about and why? There's a friend that I made when I was about 10 years old that I rarely think about, but he was a very close friend uh, for a very short time. And I remember thinking like, very strongly about him immediately afterwards and for like the next few years in elementary school um, what had happened was my dad's my dad is from Detroit um, so his uh, at one point we went on a road trip back to Detroit to go to his I think it was his 25th high school reunion I say I was 10 years old and I'm pretty sure I was 10 years old um, but it was whatever was the year that was my dad's 25th high school reunion in between grades three and four I think um, or maybe four and five um, so we had driven all the way to Detroit, um, all the way from Edmonton, Alberta, which was a great, it was like a two week road trip um, from Edmonton to Detroit and then Toronto and back. Um, and when we were in Detroit, we stayed in Ann Arbor with some friends of my dad's from, I think it was either high school or from his university. Um, they, you know, they had had kids and so we were staying with these kids and there were three boys in the family and I, I became very close with the eldest one. He was also into, he was really into Star Trek. He had great video games and like we played, we, we spent the three or four days that we were there just, just kind of running around and like exploding fireworks and talking about Star Trek and he showed me his Star Trek toys collection and everything um, and we but we we hit it off really immediately and I um, um, I like I had a great time we never stayed in touch afterwards but um, I, I okay I would continually think about him all throughout elementary school um, you know and and then less and less on and on um, he's not a friend like I'm sometimes you'll reach back and meet these people again on Facebook and he's somebody that I never did um, reconnect with, um, unlike some people, you know, there are some people that I was very happy to, to find again on, on Facebook or online, um, that I had been close friends with as a, as a child. 
um, but never Dan. And I remember I, I had forgotten about him, I would say maybe for the last seven or eight years. And then my dad and I went back to Detroit last summer um, for a nice little heat. My dad actually took me back to his, I suppose it would be his 35th or 40th high school reunion this last summer. Um, and in a, it was, we had a wonderful little vacation where I took the train down to Windsor. My dad picked me up and drove back to um, Detroit and we spent three or four days, or not three or four days, um, two or three days um, around Detroit and Gross Point um, and seeing what Detroit is like now and getting kind of a one-on-one -on -one tour with my dad to Belle Isle and you know, the Gross Point Yacht Club, all these places that he knew so well. Um, and I remember I was kind of flabbergasted because at one point he said that he also had met with Dan's mom and I think Dan shortly before, maybe about a month before or something. Um, and Dan was, I, I was blown away because Dan was a doctor now, which is what I am trying to pursue in my continued effort to get my life back together. Um, I'm, I'm trying to apply for medical school and it blew my mind. It was one of those like when you're two separated twins and you reconnect and discover that, you know, you're both, you're both car mechanics or both really into Westworld or whatever. Um, and that, but I thought I was like, my next question was, I wonder if he's gay. And I wonder, I, cause I, I mean, in, in the time since I was 10 years old, I have come out and I've, you know, led a very very gay life um and and i i thought to myself i would l i wonder if we had a crush on each other when we were 10 years old and that's one of the reasons why we hit it off so well and i wonder if he also went through this parallel life and you know if he if he was was you know gay all along and had come out of the closet in the meantime and i mean also one of the reasons why i thought that is because like like that would be hot he would have totally been you know, cute, and I would love if if that very close friendship would continue to blossom into something you know even more even more fun as adults. Um, so that's some yeah that was that was some guy who came kind of slamming back into my memory last summer when um, when I returned to Detroit and remembered that you know I had hit it off really well with this close friend of for three days when I was ten years old. So my question for the next person is, what were you doing in your life in 1996? In 1996, I was 14 years old. Uh, and 14 was a, uh, it was an okay time for me. I, I was like a very good teenager. I didn't have any teenage angst. Um, I. I had this one outfit I loved to wear, which was, it was like um, forest green high-waisted trousers with pleats and a, a blue silk blouse and a vest embroidered with bears. And I remember one of my classmates saying, like, you look like you're going to a business meeting right now, Catherine. Um, and I had wire-rimmed Harry Potter glasses and I weighed about 75 pounds maybe. Um, and I loved school. 
I was in this, oh, I was in the school band. I played the trumpet. Yeah, uh, which I had to lug around with me everywhere. And for me, the trumpet was like extremely heavy. Um, and uh, I also didn't have the lung capacity to play it very well. And I like to, I'd spend hours sort of like sketching out how I was going to organize and decorate my locker. And, uh, and plotting ways to stay inside during lunch hour because it was cold outside. And, you know, I never liked recess because you had to like have so for social interaction that might involve balls flying around. And uh, so I would go to the, the special ed room. And actually, sometimes now that I think about it, I go to the special ed room and tutor other students, which allowed me to stay in or read my Anne of Green Gables books and hang out with Eric, my, my friend who was building a two scale model of New York City. Uh, which is in a museum now, and Eric is uh, an architect and lives in Toronto. Uh, and so 14 was also the year that I, in the summer of that year, I had my first panic attack, sitting at my parents' table, having lunch with a priest. My whole family has nuns and priests, so this was like my dad's uncle, I guess. And uh, I then became convinced I was having a heart attack, and then I thought I had a heart condition. So I spent the entire summer taking my pulse and recording it in a notebook. Um, and uh, yeah, so 14 was like a very anxious year for me. Everybody else was wearing like Club Monaco t or sweatshirts. Do you remember those? And like Converse running shoes and like making out with each other and I was not doing any of that. I was playing the trumpet and like, I really like tracing paper. So I would get tracing paper and trace the covers of Anne of Green Gables books. Um, and, and I also, now that I think about it, really liked starting flowers from seeds. Yeah, I had a lot in common with an elderly woman as I do now. And uh, basically I would be thrilled if I had a teenager like me. <laughs> So my question is, what is the monkey on your back? By which I mean, what is the thing, you know, either literal or, or figurative that you drag around with you day to day and that if you could get rid of it would be a weight off your shoulders? Um, I thought about this, I've gone through a few things. Some of them I don't think I'd want to get rid of though, like for example music. I always have some music in my head, but I don't want to get rid of that. But sometimes it's bad music and I want to get rid of that. But um, I think uh, I'm too optimistic. Um, and it gets me into a few problems here and there. like getting on time for work, uh, especially with the TTC, it's the worst, but I'm always optimistic that the TTC will go well, even though I know very well that everything will happen on the TTC. <laughs> um, and uh, I feel like this plays in a lot of other parts of my life too. Um, uh, I, I want to, I always like to, I've always thought about writing a bunch of things. I have a lot of things on the go, but finishing it 
finishing things. I'm a plotter, I think that's what the term is called, so I like to plot things a lot. But I'm optimistic that I will get it done at some point in my life. Like, when I find out I'm gonna die in 10 months. Like, I feel like that's when it'll happen in reality, but uh, I would like to finish it ASAP. Um, uh, well, maybe two, the two part is what I, I'd like to get rid of, but the optimism, of course, you wouldn't want to get rid of that. Um, uh, people always tell me their issues sometimes, and I'm like, Oh, I'm sure one day you'll get over it. Or I, like, I won't actually say that to them, but I'm optimistic that they'll get through it. Um, but sometimes I'll, I'll go in my head and I won't fit, like, talk to them about it. And I'll say, because I might be judging them in some way. I'll be like, why haven't you gotten there yet? Um, wh why aren't you positive enough, for ha perhaps? So, um, your, so your optimism also turns into a thing that like you project onto other people critically. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, so my question is, what is your real life superpower? Um, okay, so I think, I think my, if I were to have a real life superpower, I think it's my curiosity. I think it's my curiosity because for, there's many reasons, but that that's, I think is a superpower. But one of them I think is that it allows me to have empathy for people. So, um, like, I don't know, because I'm, I'm actually just naturally curious about people and like why they are the way they are, what, ha like, what happened to them to make them the person they are today. It allows me to kind of see things from their perspective, I think, understand them a little bit better, ideally without judgment. I mean, it's impossible to be like judgment free, but, I kind of try and approach it from that way. And then, yeah, I don't know. I find that that kind of is like, it opens a lot of doors to connecting with people because like, um, yeah, I think it's just like, life is like a series of like connections with, <laughs> with people, with humans or animals or whatever. And having a way in, to that is just really freeing. And yeah, you know, like I think like people, no one is like out to be hurtful or mean or like screw up. No one's intending to, to like be a bad person. So there's a good reason for everything, right? Like everyone, the way, everything that we do is like the result of like so many things that have already happened to us. So, yeah, I don't know. I just think that that's like a, a really, it's a strong ability to be able to like genuine, genuinely have curiosity about other people. And, uh, 
But I'm also curious about like life and what's gonna happen. And so it's a superpower in other ways because I find that I, I find that if I follow my curiosity, that's when like the most exciting stuff happens in life. You know, like, and I, I, um, like adventure happens. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of just like saying yes to not knowing, but following through with like, what, what could be, what could happen? Any, you know, I think some of the greatest things that have happened in my life have happened because I was curious and I, followed through on that curiosity. <laughs>
uh, anything like that. So I'm like, oh, it's not something I did because I don't think I did anything. What the fuck is happening? Um, I definitely thought that as a child. Um, so I get down to the office and my dad is there. And at first I think, oh, is, is something wrong? What's going on? And uh, my principal was just super thrilled to be like, oh, your, your dad has a surprise for you. And I was like, oh, okay. Daddy should be at work, uh, but you know, that's fine. I'm a child, I don't, know, I, I don't know how the economy works, so maybe it's just a day off for you. So we go out to the parking lot and he's like, get in the car. And I'm like, oh, where are we going? And he said, we're going to Paramount Canada's Wonderland. And I was like, what? What? But I'm not a safety patroller. How can this be? He said, well, it's your birthday, and you, we're, I'm going to drive you up there, and we're going to hang out with your brother, and he's excited to see you, and we're just going to have a fun time. And I remember that overwhelming sense of first not believing that it was happening, because that's all I wanted. Uh, and uh, secondly, the, not only the anticipation on the drive up, but just, it was just me and my dad as well. Um, and it was one of those first moments that we had where we got to hang out, not just as a parent and a child, but as two people who just genuinely enjoy each other's company. So, you know, I remember a lot of like fun jokes on the way up or when you're driving by uh, Oakville, they have a Ford plant that's up there and they have this one random barrel at the top of like this giant skyscraper like pillar. And because the, the day was so cloudy, the gray of the barrel on top perfectly blended into the sky. And uh, I remember pointing that out to him and him being like, well, I guess that's a good sign. I mean, either uh, uh, we're gonna have a great day or we'll become ghosts, it'll be fine. And I just thought that was so funny. And it was just like the, the sweetness of not only the gesture that he made and that deep understanding he had of me as a person. Like I never specifically asked to go, I didn't beg to go, but he knew that I wanted that a lot and that the best birthday present for me wouldn't just be going to Canada's Wonderland, although let's face it, that was a major part of it but also the, the surprise that someone would notice that and, and know that I would want that and be able to act on it. And, um, you know, it was a great day. I rode all the rides, I ate all the candy. Um, it was uh, awesome. But what I mostly carried with me after that point was the idea of communicating your knowledge of someone else to them by observing them and knowing them and loving them and figuring out the things that you have in your power uh, to, to create action that will make their lives better. And to me, I don't know, that's, that's where the best surprises and, and unexpected gifts and experience lie. It's, it's knowing that someone knows you and loves you so much that they can be able to give you what you hadn't dared to hope to ask for. And now, of course, that can get into some like pretty bad things with relationships, and I won't get into that, but it is just, when you know someone gets you like that, it's, it's a very uh, beautiful and powerful thing. So that's, that's my experience. Okay, uh, total opposite of this. Uh, and I hope no one's asked this yet, but, what is the worst betrayal that you've ever faced? 
I had to really think about this because I don't think that I've been betrayed that often in my life. And I tried to think, you know, go through my adult life and think, you know, was there any betrayal that happened that I was kind of normalizing and I should have thought of that as a betrayal and nothing popped out. And, um, and the worst that I could think of in the grand scheme of things is small, but at the time, of course, it felt huge. And it was when I was about 10. So, uh, you know, uh, I, when I grew up, there was um, a girl who lived across the street who was exactly my age and she was my best friend, kind of by default. Um, there were some deep differences between our families, the main one being that they were super Catholic and my family was, you know, Unitarian at best. Um, but we were always friends and, um, uh, you know, played together. And this was, of course, the time you'd like run across the street and, you know, just play for hours on your own with no adults around. Um, so then that summer that I was 10 or turning 10, uh, a new girl moved on to our block and she was down at that end of the street. Her name was Kelly. And so we all, all three of us started playing together and she was really nice. I really liked her. And um, I suppose if I had better recall, I might be able to look back and notice that there were some odd things happening. But what happened was one day we were all out. So I met up with Ruthie and with Kelly, the new girl. And in the way that girls do, they just started telling me what a bad person I was how annoying I was as a friend, how I, they f how Kelly felt that I was trying to take Ruthie away from her. Um, it was just kind of a litany of how they didn't want me to be around. It was totally out of the blue as far as I was concerned. I hadn't really twigged into anything like that. I hadn't had in my mind at all that I was trying to take anybody's friend away, that, you know, anything like that. Um, and it ended off, they're like, we don't want to play with you anymore. And then Ruthie finished off with, oh, and by the way, the only reason I asked you to come to Sunshine Camp is because my mother told me I had to. And this is one of those like church-related kind of uh, things where I guess it's about, you know, like the Catholic Church is about uh, number of souls as opposed to quality of connection, perhaps. Um, so, and I, and I, I was just, totally floored. I don't know that I said a, th a word while they were standing there telling me all this. And um, my family didn't argue very much, were very sincere, very kind people. So as a result, I had like no, no tools, no weapons at my disposal for this kind of thing. And I just didn't say anything. And instead I went home, I was devastated, I was hurt, I was angry. And I did the really passive aggressive thing of typing out a letter to them telling them I think I have it somewhere telling them how it didn't matter and I didn't care and by the way Ruthie's dog had been coming over and pooing on our lawn and she was terrible you know like it was a super passive-aggressive thing I don't think I ever even delivered the letter um, and I can't remember now what I did after that like who I played with um, it was just it was just uh, one of those things and we became friends again later on it just, um, I read, uh, I don't know if any of your listeners have read Cat's Eye by Margaret Atwood or if you have, but it's all about young girls um, just mean girling on each other, but kind of, I mean, in the book, it's like beyond that. And this didn't, you know, nobody pushed me into an icy patch on a river and left me or anything like that, like they do in the book. Um, but it was just kind of a thing that happens. And um, 
Uh, and I think I've always been sensitive to when I hear people kind of ganging up in conversation on somebody who's not there, even though, of course, I've done that, you know, and like complained about somebody. But that, I don't know if it's a girl thing either, if guys do this. My, my impression is that guys don't, but I don't know. Um, it it kind of twigs that memory, I think. And I, I guess I'm lucky if that's like the worst betrayal I've ever gone. I've, you know, I like, I don't even count breakups because the breakups are just, you know, breakups. Um, but that is probably the most painful betrayal that has ever happened because it was just so, so bald faced, so out of the blue, so definite, so pointed. Um, and I guess I got better. So I guess I'm fortunate in that way. Okay, my question is, if you could do time travel, holodeck holidays, short-term time travel to a place or, a, or an event or something like that, um, where would you go first? Assuming, you know, maybe it's uh, something you can go back to, but like the, you know, I would go to Judy Garland at Carnegie Hall. I would go to that concert kind of thing. So where would you go on a time travel holiday? Um, okay, so I kind of did this recently um, in that I went to the Toronto Archives for the first time. Um, and I went there to research the history of Tattle Creek because I work at Tattle Creek Montessori School. Um, and, and I discovered that Tattle Creek was an actual creek um, and that we, in the 1800s, buried it and, and turned it into a sewer. Um, and in that process, I became really interested in what Toronto looked like, um, or looked like pre-Confederation or pre-European influence. So um, I guess where I would go is, is here, but I would go a long time ago, pre-Confederation, um, and uh, just to see what our landscape is, and I'd want to check out, you know, what it looks like where I live, and what it looks like in the annex uh, and the lakeshore, and to see the actual escarpment um, at St. Clair West. Um, I just, I'd like to see the landscape of our city. This episode's contributing voices are Mary Jane Watson, Carl Swanson, Catherine Dunn, Steve Vargo, Rosalie Williamson, Kat Ledwin, Aurora Brown, and Nancy Drew. If you have enjoyed We Muse Aloud, you could help us out by sharing it with someone else who might like it. Subscribe. Rate and review us on iTunes. Like us at facebook.com slash wemusealoud, and on Twitter at wemusealoud. There are exactly three more episodes coming, before we muse aloud bids the internet a fond farewell. Join us in two weeks for episode 18, which is about addiction.
This is a cow. No.